George Harrison balked at a request to bear his anus to the camera while while while, fr- while frolicking <laughs> Here's around that, uh, Beatles in a anus clause <laughs> in all the contracts. <laughs> oh come on, dude! Exposed Ringo anus. It's, yeah, all four of them signed the, the paperwork. So there goes that motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. <laughs> everybody what's going on what is that oh my god is that my uh (laughs) zoom back podcast (laughs) i think tom has been enlightened uh this is uh okay well welcome to uh one fucking hour the show of course where we talk about one movie for one fucking hour um, I am Evan Husney, and we got to my left, Big T, Big Topo. We got Tom Fitzgerald. What's going on? Just El Topin it, man. You <laughs> yeah, <know>? right. <laughs> yeah, I got to take a big tope of this bowl I got over here. Um, <laughs> and uh, all right, to my right, we got, as always, Mr. Marcus Herring. Marcus, what's going on? What's up, guys? What year are we at now? 1970? 1970. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, because this is, this, is, this is what we've been doing on the show lately, guys. Uh, this is episode 70 of the show, by the way. Holy shit. We've done 70 of these freaking shows. <laughs> that's kind of just, that's <laughs> really close to three days. Yeah, you, could watch this, you could watch this idiocy for three days straight. Yeah. You know, almost it's, 70 times. <laughs> it's really crazy. So uh, episode 70, and of course, this new gimmick we got, which is we're 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 doing a um, episode themed around the episode number. Okay, so whatever, so right. uh, a corresponding year to the corresponding episode number. So last week we did 1969 for episode 69, which of course we covered Putney Swope, guys. That was a fantastic episode. Oh you know, man. Thanks so much for you know joining us for that one. If you did, if you haven't, of course, it's in the archives. But this week, we're doing a big one. This is a big movie we've been talking about for a long time to do. So for 1970, yeah. and you guys voted it. You voted it right off our Instagram poll. Um, we are covering... Um, it, was, it wasn't even a contest. You know, Half the votes went to this movie. Um, wow. We're doing Alejandro Jodorowsky's El Topo. So that'll be the show tonight and yeah this has been one we've been talking about doing for a very very long time we're big fans you know we love we love our holy mountain we love el topo so this this is uh this is this is really exciting i think we've been looking forward to this for a while um uh but before we got completely figured out we're going to explain to you guys exactly what it means right exactly this is el topo explained (laughs) (laughs) Um, shut up (laughs) i'm sorry that's not what it's going to be at all um but anyway, before we get into uh, uh, our one fucking hour on El Topo, I just wanted to carve out a second, do, do a little bit of business. Of course, we, uh, recently we've launched the one fucking hour Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash one fucking hour. We recently released our audio commentary track on Star Wars. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Inca, binka, bonka, banka, bunga. We've done Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, right here. Shum. Oh, 
I quit. Yeah, I'm actually stopping. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That is I'm the done. sickest that, yeah. music cue drop. That's the drop. coolest choice that ever happened in a horror movie. It stays it's with you forever, too. Ever, I mean. ever, ever. <laughs> this is the only place that you're ever going to be able to get our exclusive feature-length audio commentary track. So if you like listening to us talk about movies, this is you know watching movies with us now. So you're hanging out with us, watching movies, scene by scene. And uh, we're just getting ready to record our next episode. It might be up by the time you see this video. It might not be or coming up soon. But if you're on the Patreon, the next audio commentary that we're doing is, holy shit, we're doing Gus Van Zandt's 1998 Psycho Remake. Oh, um, my God. Why are we doing that? Um, I know. Um, as you can tell, we're going from the... Uh, sublime to the ridiculous like we've done two you know killer <laughs> movies movies we really love and are beloved uh to just something it's just like head scratching misguided dumb <laughs> 90s cringe like yeah. late boomer meets like gen x hell mid 90s yeah. um gonna go yeah. with it and uh won't be a love fest that's all i'm really trying to say no uh, but no, we're gonna no, no. analyze um how the bad idea went really wrong, even wronger than you'd imagine. This is one of the all-time bad ideas uh, to yeah. uh, do a shot-for-shot shot remake of Psycho, but of course inject a bunch of new metal, late 90s vibes into it. So we're going to get deep into that, doing an audio commentary track. It's actually our second ever episode of the show was on this film, but um, you know, one hour is not enough. So we're going to get deep into this, watching it scene by scene, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So if you want to see that, the only place to download it will be patreon.com slash one fucking hour. So, all right, guys. Psycho, we, we, you know, we affectionately call that, uh, Thelma, Psycho 98, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like uh, Rob Zombie yeah. style. Yeah. Just so you know. It's like the nomenclature. It's like Danzig of, uh, style, right? Like Psycho 98. Yeah, That's what yeah totally, well, I'm totally. thinking of, uh, <laughs> you know, the White Zombie song, uh, you know. Thunder Kissan. Psycho yeah. 988. Yeah. Yeah. Because anyway, yeah. it is the time. It's the zeitgeist. It's it's it the is. mid-90s guys. Like uh yeah. let's let's all go back there. Okay. All right. So that will be Psycho 98 <laughs> audio commentary track. Get it um on on the Patreon. All right, guys, are you ready to uh dive into uh, El Topo? El Topo? Yeah, we have uh Way too much for 60 yes. minutes this time. Um, yes. Let's try to just uh, manage ourselves yeah. and, uh, you know, <laughs> keep your hands inside the, you know, the car and let's just do what we can scare up here. This is going to be tough. Can do. This is going to be tough. Yeah. It's going to be a tough hour. Yeah. I'm sure we're going to be fighting to get everything in. There's a lot of, there's backstory, there's set pieces, there's personal anecdotes. So everybody, there's analysis, there's anal, yeah. you know, analogies and metaphorical, you know, Similes. symbolism. Yeah. yeah, you could really just unravel this film, do an all nighter, you know. But, anyway. all -nighter. but we're not. There we're doing we an hour. All right, so let's get ready. I'm gonna get this. Uh, the clock. Here we go. Oh God, damn it, the clock. Okay, here we go. I'm gonna start that. Three, two, one. Bang. All right. Let's do this. Uh, a little bit of backstory on El Topo, just for the folks at home who may not know, fill you in or catch you up to speed. Okay. A bloody spaghetti Western, sort of, heavily infused with Eastern spiritualism. El Topo centers on a hero played by Jodorowsky himself, who is the Western genre's archetypal man in black. Known only as El Topo, the mole, 
He is an enigmatic leather-clad gunslinger who travels the plains with his naked seven-year-old son, played by, of course, Jodorowsky's own son, Brontis. In the opening section, father and son encounter a grisly massacre. They track down the evil colonel behind it and castrate him, rescuing Mara, a beautiful young woman who is being threatened by the colonel's henchmen. El Topo then abruptly abandons his son to fulfill a mission set by Mara. He defeats a series of gunmasters only to be shot, seemingly dead, by another incredibly beautiful woman. The film's second half sees him wake up pale with uh, a ginger-shocked hair fro, uh, he's in a cave inhabited by a community of disabled people who venerate him as a savior before he sets himself alight and undergoes a transmogrification by bees. So that is... It's, it's your typical, you know, uh, boy meets girl story. Yeah, right. Obviously. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So It's all, all around. That's why. I, I definitely went a little long with the backstory there because there, there, there's a lot and that kind of lays it all out there, but... I thought yeah, yeah. we could sort of kick this off with just a couple of personal anecdotes about our own personal history, um, you know, with this movie. Uh, Tom, I'm going to kick it off to you first, and then Marcus, uh, yeah. you can back him up after that. Just Go ahead. very briefly, um, so this is me in the 80s. I'm a kid, and at the library, they had this book. Mm. Okay, that's the more obscure of the two. Sorry, I'm taking forever. And then they had this book, which is more famous. Uh, yeah. uh, and this, uh, both of them extensively feature talk of this movie, uh, El Topo. And at the time, you know, this is like the eighties and you know, things were so different and, you know, finding any media, uh, it was hard in general. And I thought, I'm never going to see this. I kind of was like, wow, this looks cool on paper. Although I guess I'll never see it. So cut to like, you know, I'm a young person, it's the nineties. And like, there was a bootleg of El Topo. Uh, and it was from the Playboy Channel. Okay, the Playboy <laughs> Channel. For some reason, I don't know why, had like a late night screening of Il Topo in like 1982. <laughs> what? And um, so that was. So we all had that tape that was passed around. Like it, you know, video stores, Kim's Video or Naked Eye in San Francisco. Shout out. Shout and out. Like, um, and so and so and then the bookends of it would have like we're about to watch a pretty pretty wild movie. All right, Cindy. And it's like yeah. And then at the back end when they the host would come on and be like that was weird, you know. <laughs> and um, so anyway, that's how I know it. And this and really it was it was very tough to see. Um, a couple of my friends heard about a screening in San Francisco in the early nineties, and they took acid. They went. They were sitting down, and Alan Klein like personally. Uh, like called like the authorities to like seize the prince. Wow. Alan Klein, Jeez. we get all get to all, the, get to all this, but like uh, he made it impossible to pr to distribute and to exhibit this film for like decades. Yeah, like it was impossible. Yep. It got as yep. close to it, and then the prince in the projector, and then he's like cease and desist. And my friends had to just walk away like on acid. So, um, so anyway, I, I'm like a lot of people. Like, uh, you know, when the when the better quality stuff started coming out, I started to truly watch it, and then I finally saw it on the big screen. So, anyway, it was it was hard to see this film for a long time, and it yeah. always looked fucked up for you know most of the years I was first watching it. But uh, it's okay. so glorious to see now. You know, it so is anyway. absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Marcus, what's your personal history with uh, El Topo? Well, it's it's sort of it's a little indirect, but um, I just I, I I came to it through acid western, just in general that genre. I remember I was at a, a speed adult like friend's house in college, and he he put on Zachariah, and it just opens up Gosh. with the James Gang in the desert That's playing cool hard song. rock. It's like a western, 
you know, the cowboy movie and the James game is, is playing like uh, clear guitars in the desert or whatever. <laughs> and it was, I was like, what is this? You know? And yeah, the, you know, it explained to me this, there's like a whole, you know, some other films uh, and that are acid Westerns are just kind of mind blowing. I was like, I have to know more about this. So, you know, went in search of Greaser's palace and, uh, you know, mm. shout out to, to Downey, yep. uh, from the last episode and, uh, and yeah, and El Topo. So just, the, it's a little reductive, I think, to call this film an acid Western, I think. I mean, it is, you could, but, uh, though, you know, you yeah, could. sure. But it feels, it feels like it's such a pinnacle of art too. It feels like, you know, um, calling the, the Beatles a rock band or something. I mean, they I mean, are, asking so himself would say, uh, Yes, yes, come to my movies high. Come stoned. He called it a was, cowboy movie, too, right? So, yeah, well, you know, so it's cool. <laughs> on that note, I mean, you know, uh, we, all, we always talk about Pauline Kael on the show. And uh, she actually, I believe, coined the term acid western in her review of El Topo oh, from yeah. back in 1970, which isn't crazy that, that, that that's where that originates from. Um, but wild. I also came... I also came across a quote of from Jodorowsky talking about this concept, uh, you know, and he said, I wanted to create an image that a person will never forget in his life um, to to create mental change, to reach a state of enlightenment. This is LSD without LSD, you know, and so that, that that really is what I think he was trying to achieve. And of course, as we all know now, he wanted to make, you know, Dune, you know, that would be his big epic if he was going to adapt uh, you know Frank uh, Frank Herbert's Dune, and that his whole concept of that was to try and create the experience of LSD without taking it. So, I think right. that's kind of been the thing that he's always always tried to. Uh, well, right. And then there's Holy Mountain for Christ's sake. You know, yeah, which is, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, totally. pretty lysergic. Yeah. Right. I heard he wanted like I read a quote from him saying he wanted to like replace LSD with cinema, you know, which I think is a pretty noble <laughs> yeah. cause. You know, that's, that's what he's saying. It can yeah. be as powerful and, and a, a tool as. Pretty ambitious. My, take, so, take my film <laughs> like you take a drug. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. And on that note, I mean, my my just personal history is, you know, I, I remember, you know, hearing about these movies for so long and obviously wanting to see them again, like Tom not being available until around 2007 when the box set came out, the Anchor right. Bay box set. It was a big deal. I was working at a video store at the time and they came out and I, yeah. could, I just couldn't wait to get my hands on them. And then it was only a few years later that I was working for uh, Severin Films and we got the rights to distribute Santa Sangre, you know, his 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 film from the late 80s. And uh, which I which I do love. I actually still I actually do like yeah, that movie quite a bit. I, I love think it. that movie is pretty underrated actually. You know, we should put that on the list uh to do an episode someday. I would definitely anyway. do that. Definitely do that. Um, but so anyway, I had the experience, you know, we were shooting all the bonus, like all the bonus material stuff for that disc. And so we spent like a, like one day doing the interviews. And then I was kind of his chaperone in Montreal when uh, we brought him there oh, to do awesome. some screenings and Q and A's and stuff. And it was amazing. Very when cool. we were filming the interviews with him, we had, I had this, this image of him in my mind that he would, you know, be somebody who would deserve like a nice charcuterie spread with the nicest of cheeses and meats and things. So he had all this like laid out his he, offerings. He wanted you know? Wendy's, right? Pretty much. We got there and he's just he, he was just Whoa. like uh, he like looked at all this stuff that was extremely expensive that we got and he's just like uh, Coca Cola, you know. And that's all he wanted, you know. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. so a totally different different that's version awesome. of him. But yeah, it, it was amazing and we and we did some live uh, live tours uh, or we, we did like a. a, a Q&A thing with him and um, I remember that there was one guy just real quick there was one guy in the audience who uh, asked him a question you know because he was kind of doing like you know taking questions about people's lives and he was giving them advice and stuff and there was one guy who was he was 
talking about somebody else, but clearly talking about himself, about trying to mm -hmm. kick like a serious drug habit, you know, like, would you have any advice mm -hmm. for somebody who was trying to get over this, you know, experience? And he said, tell him to buy pill capsules, like those, like, you know, those kind of, you know, those little empty pill capsules. Mm -hmm. Tell him to fill the pill capsule with his own blood and to take himself as a drug. You know, whatever. And it was wow. just like, just like, you know. The guy's like, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> you want me to put my own I mean, blood, swallow my own blood? Yeah, um, yeah but anyway, great. it's just amazing. I mean, it just goes That's to the, great. you know, who he is. It's just he's an amazing figure in, in, in cinema and, you know, this kind of yeah. weird Buddhist, uh, you know, acid cult guy uh, that we have. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Um, but I, I think the, the, the right place to start with talking about El Topo is obviously the phenomenon that it was in the midnight circuit. I mean, this movie um, launched in many ways the midnight phenomenon. Um, so uh, in, 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 in New York in 1970, 1971, isn't that right, Tom? Yeah, I mean, uh, the uh, movies showing at midnight, um, they happened in their own ways before El Topo established sort of the brand, for lack of a better term, like the, the one that's Rocky Horror and Eraserhead, that brand. I mean, midnight screenings were happening. They would happen, you know, in Halloween shows, you know, at drive-ins in 1965 and stuff. And there were um, this thing called Underground uh, Cinema 12, which would tour around the country and have packages of shorts, including once again, Scorpio Rising and other kinds of freaky shorts, Kuchar and whatnot. So that was a midnight thing that happened. This is starting at like 68, 69 into 70. But Al Topo, again, established, um, and all accidentally, the idea of having um, a film break and establish itself and be known and premiere essentially at midnight is what I'm saying. Right. So uh, all shout outs are, okay, so you got Hodorowsky. He made a smaller film, Fondo Elise. In Mexico, it made a little bit of waves. Um, it got him to get a budget to make a movie, uh, El Topo in Mexico. And it caused 70s. riots, didn't it? Didn't it cause like uprisings and riots in Mexico City or something? That's what yeah, I heard. He, he couldn't show in Mexico. You know, the conservative yeah. uh, reactionary government. Right, right, right. No, but what I'm what I was gonna say is like he made it for the overseas. He made it for the U.S. in mind, and he immediately just grabbed the real the cans and flew to New York City. Played it at the uh, uh, like um, the uh, modern uh, the art theater exhibition, and Ben Barinholtz, the late great Ben Barinholtz, let's shout him out. He is behind a lot of big stuff. He discovered El Topo, which I'm wow. about to describe. Also, Eraserhead. He was he's in uh, Dawn of the Dead. He's a really great principal character. Wow. He ran the Elgin Theater, and he was at the screening of the modern art and went, wait, 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 wait. Everyone's like dismissing it joke laughing about it or leaving and he's like this this there's something here right. so he had there's one specific night john and yoko ono shorts at the elgin theater you know in chelsea on the west side and that's the prime time like eight o'clock and then um john and yoko i think had seen el topo by then and went hey everybody y'all should stick around and watch this crazy movie at midnight because ben <laughs> premiered it in december of 1970 after the john and yoko's <laughs> and um, so he, wow. they had a lot of audience that was certainly primed to watch something like this, you know, what right. I mean? and it just it went off like that. And it played. This is incredible. The statistics. It played at 1 a.m., by the way, technically speaking, 1 a.m. on Friday and Saturday. And then every other day in the week at midnight. Wow. Seven days a week. Weekdays. Yeah. Right. Week Tuesday. Always sold out. Wow. Six months straight. There was no publicity, no poster. No press reviews, no press release, no lobby cards. There was a small placard 
at the box office that just said El Topo at midnight. <laughs> That's it. Oh, yeah. And and um and had nothing except word of mouth. And eventually there would be guys who'd be dressed like El Topo and go in. And people saw it all the time. People were like, Yeah, I've seen it. It's like Star Wars later in the decade. Like, oh, I've seen it 18 times now, 20. Hey, I went yeah. all week last week, man. And just to wrap this up, the tone of it all is a cloud, a thick cloud of marijuana smoke, pervasive, yes. constant. Yep. Joints passed constantly. <laughs> and they were watching this movie into like three in the morning. Incredible. And so, um, so, so that's the, so, yeah. So, okay. So that's the phenomenon. And what I'm saying is this, this established the mold, you know, that was going to be, you know, eventually Rocky Horror, certainly the biggest example, Eraserhead, and then the Midnight Movie as we know it. Right. As a phenomenon. Because again, it didn't have a life outside of Midnight. And the, I'll end with this. The quote is, I think from Ben Barinholtz is, um, why are you showing it at midnight? Because El Topo is a movie could, that could only be shown at midnight. Mm. <laughs> love that. Love that. Wow. Yeah. And it was, yeah, like you said, there are people who, who had seen it 21 times or, you know, like most average devotee of the movie had seen it over 10 times, you know, when it, and it's in, in that run, which is just absolutely, you know, insane. And of course, you mentioned John and Yoko, you know, who were huge uh, supporters, uh, of course, of uh of uh jodorowsky and you know giving him one million dollars you know to make his follow-up film holy mountain and stuff which apparently i heard that that uh that that george harrison was supposed to star in um until uh he the beggar uh that you follow at the very beginning right well i I guess yeah i'd heard that harrison balked at a request to bear his anus to the camera while 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 frolicking (laughs) around uh, beetles anus claws in other contracts (laughs) oh come on dude exposed ringo anus yeah all four of them signed the the paperwork so there goes that yeah so so that didn't happen but (laughs) that is too wild yeah it's so weird with the just uh just a quick side about the beatles just like when i was thinking watching this movie there's so much wild stuff happening so many out there visuals you know this is only like five years out from like people burning like the beatles albums for saying that good for john saying that he was bigger than 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 Jesus or the Beatles were bigger than Jesus, and then five years later you've got El Topo, which is just like nonstop. Well, how about this? Three years after or two years after that quote that John made, and burning the the, the stuff, he's got an album cover with his wife, and they're completely <laughs> naked. Yeah. It's just you know things went fast yeah. back then. It's but true. just to maybe uh, just to, to evolve like uh, where where the film went, just as we're on this topic. So okay, so because of John and Yoko who worked with Alan Klein. Maybe you yeah. saw the dealings with Alan Klein, the big gross businessman at the end of the Get Back documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You see uh, him, and I think Paul brought him in. And uh, you know, He was the they, Stones manager before that, and, and John right. brought him in because he was like, Alan Klein would get a lot of money for the Stones, like a lot of up, up a lot of uh, advance money so they thought it was like a really good deal you know like he was gonna fight for them but he had all these like wicked contracts that really was just siphoning the money away from them ultimately but paul wanted his step or his like his his father-in-law to be the manager anyway that's just a little so so the thing is but alan but the thing is at the time you know the beatles had just broken up apple records still existed and um john and yoko were like we want this movie they actually wanted araballs viva la muerte first and then they sell topo by the way but so 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 they went for it and to the point where right now you can buy 
on Apple Records the El Topo soundtrack, like oh. the, the Apple logo <laughs> that says El Topo. That's like they really went all in with the uh, in the Ardorowski business, and um, and, you, and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, John and Yoko were going through a lot of heavy changes. This is all like the mother song and everything, and you know, yeah. like psychotherapy and the occult and all that kind Screaming. of stuff. It was, yeah, right, yeah. screen mm-hmm. therapy. So, um, but, but what has happened is he, Ordoski suddenly had this huge benefactor and Klein pulled it from the Elgin and released it like Midtown with like huge, a huge citywide billboard. Yeah. Phil Topo. And it played, you know, at eight o'clock finally. And all the critics reviewed it. And guess what? All the mainstream East Coast critics did not like it. No. Nope. Uh, Pauline Kael um, kind of is acting like very sophisticated and superior. Like, I see right through this jive, you know. Yeah. Not my favorite review of hers. But I, I know what she's saying. And I respect it. But really, it was it was the dichotomy between, like, the freaks on the street yeah. uh, who loved it and then the sophisticated feats were like, uh, oh, this is so gauche. Have you mm, satiriconed much? You know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, it, just, totally. it just shows them to be, like, kind of douchey. Totally. And, oh. Ugh. That's the yeah, worst exactly. side of so, the New York I, right? scene. So anyway, the egghead so, side of New York. Yeah, exactly. So the film uh, was still it, it didn't really hurt it. I mean, it was it did really well Midtown. But um, and then, of course, we, we won't get into this now, but we could probably do an episode later. Uh, you know, then uh, Klein supports the even more insane and expansive yeah. Holy Mountain and, and yeah. so on. So, um, yeah, so well, there we are. Uh, yeah, I thought I thought, OK, I, I thought r- rooting us there with the phenomenon that would be, you know, of course, El Topo. But now kind of stepping back, you know, taking a few steps back into the background of Alejandro Jodorowsky and how he sort of came to be is a pretty fascinating story um, because, you know, of course, he's born in he's born in Chile um, and he uh, sets out to, to go to Paris in the 50s to study to be a mime under uh, Marcel Marceau, which is obviously who would have saw that coming after a, seeing it was such a big yeah. thing back then. Right. But David Bowie and like people were just uh, into mm-hmm. miming. And they the were into doesn't the, really happen anymore. That's more than they are now. I would say. <laughs> yeah. Oh my bit. God. A modern Gen Z mime. Um, okay. And so, uh, so just then any day now, <laughs> it's going to be a phenomenon. Just, yeah. just you wait. Anyway. <laughs> and so anyway, he was, he got into filmmaking by making these short mime based films that caught the eye of Jean Cocteau, uh, which is really interesting. And so then um, around this time, he was shifting between Paris and Mexico City, and he became involved in Tom, the panic movement, uh, which is a yeah. chaotic experimental theater group set up in 1962 out of the right. belief that modern surrealism was becoming too accessible. Well, yeah. So the panic movement's actually pretty important and I'm a huge fan. It's kind of the coolest, uh, move- I'm holding a paperback of, by one of the panic movement people. Um, it's a great movement. Very cool. Very hip. You'll love it. This is by uh, Roland Topper, T-O-P-O-R. And uh, he was involved in um, the panic movement, one of the three big people. And you might know his work from A Fantastic Planet. Ah, okay? yes. So uh, yeah. cool. Yeah. So yeah. there's that. And, and this this book is great. And and I'm going somewhere with this, but like uh, he was into um, periodical Mexican periodical comic art that was surreal and dark and very violent and strange. That's cool. And of course, there's a kinship with Hodorowsky uh, and, and, and an outlook because they both were inspired by um, uh, Antonin Artaud, the theater of cruelty. Um, theater and its double book, um, that whole uh, philosophy, that sort of first half of the 20th century um, 
underground avant-garde uh, theater, but then art in general. Now, the third person is Arabal, who might be the most crazy of them all. And if you yeah. think that Orozki's films are crazy, get a load of Arabal's films. And mm -hmm. the other thing, um, so that's the three of them. Now, the other thing is there's many disciplines. That's the one thing about Orozki that's really cool is there's all these disciplines. Arabal did a lot of avant-garde con confrontational theater, and so did um, Odorowski, uh, and he had uh, these wild confrontational shows in Mexico in 1965, for instance, you know, they would like uh, throw, smash Coke bottles and uh, everyone's naked and they had a rock band on stage and people in body paint. This is like 1965. And the whole show would end with like, you know, like smashing the theater and like wandering out chanting. It was kind of like the living theater, something like that. And um, so that's where Arabal and Odorowski met. But then also with the comics, I'm just going to wrap this up. So the comics with Toper um, connects with Odorowski in this way in that he had a periodical or a newspaper periodical comic called uh, The Panic fables and those Jodorowsky are very did, cool to be clear yeah. or Jodorowsky did and there's and, yeah. and there's a comic book uh, compilation that you could buy now and it's well worth checking out and it's very psychedelic and it's like proto kind of Mexican equivalent to like zap comics and cool. you really see his sin I see the first exercising of where his films went with his panic fable crazy psychedelic colorful out there uh, far out comic books so I just want to say that he has um, a lot of things going on that um, uh, got him to wind up into film because yeah. those different disciplines informed his approach. Yeah. And he always thought, and here's, here's the last quote I'll say is he wanted to do film because they can't censor it. They can't make it stop because I'll make it and we'll hide it. And then we can watch it 20 years later, you know, cause he was getting so <laughs> dogged by the yeah. other media. Especially right. Theater. Right. 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 Yeah. Just real, real quick. Uh, I guess the panic movement, they created more than a hundred different plays or happenings uh, such as yeah. Sacramental Melodrama, a four-hour-long melodrama that reportedly involved Jodorowsky slitting the throats of two geese and uh, taping snakes to his chest, some naked women covered in honey, uh, a crucified chicken, a giant vagina, and a can of apricots. Yeah. <laughs> all for, for $9.99. Yeah, yeah. Right. In 1965. Yeah. And this is Mexico, and they didn't play back then. It was a very right. uptight, uh, you know, authoritarian uh, regime, and they barely got away with it. And, and he had to wind up splitting Mexico, unfortunately. But it's, it was a very exciting scene. So, yeah, Panic Fables. Anyway, so what I'm saying is this led him, as we're saying, you know, here's sort of his bio. And all these disciplines led him to wind up in film with the first one, Found Elise, and then El Topo. And, um, but I think one of the takeaways, he has many great quotes, but I'll just open this up to you guys. But like, yeah. you know, El Topo is a very irregular shaped film, obviously. And I, I think one of the big takeaways for me in his quotes is uh, think of El Topo as a library of all the books I love ah. because it's kind of a big amalgamation, a mess of and it's very 20th century um it's like there's a little bit of sufism mm -hmm. there's a little bit of elvis presley <laughs> mm -hmm. you know what i mean <coughs> buddhism really, there's a little yeah. bit there's a little yeah. bit of sergio leone there's a little bit of mm. the cinema novo uh, underground film brazilian movement um and uh and he's just it's all it's just if he's interested in it he'll just throw it together and see what happens you know so yeah. there's a lot of energy of el topo where like he's he's not he's never been devout with anything, like he's not a Sufiist or anything like that. Like he just right. is interested in things, and and tarot and psychoanalysis. But he could kind of take it or leave it, and he never got devout, and so it allowed him to see um, overarching 
uh, themes that were being addressed yeah. by these different disciplines. So right. that's, that's cool. a big part of El Topo. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. amazing. Yeah. I No, I totally uh, uh, keyed into that too. And like, you know, the, this film's like such an enigma, right, for people. I think it was immediately back then. You see it like in some of the interviews people there's all these interviews with him in 1970 where people are like asking him what 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 this meant what that meant you know it's pretty right. fascinating and i feel like you know it's always been a, a, a you know from the first time i saw it i just kind of operated as like a whoa this is trippy and i never really i don't get this you know the first time i watched it you know i sure. love it i don't understand it at all and i think like it, it's taken me kind of like diving into hodorowski to kind of like begin to like piece things together you know and there's, sure. a, there's a few things like you know like that that story about his uh, library and then just the fact that he views himself like as an artist and not like a filmmaker you know i think mm -hmm. helps explain things you know like mm -hmm. um it's not he's not making a hitchcock film but like he's telling a story that way he's telling the story he's he's making art and mixing everything together he's not saying this scene means this he's like this scene yeah. is all these things mixed together and, and remix and, and, it, and that's art, you know, it's like yeah, a big, uh, like Jungian mass, mass consciousness dream world, you know, yeah. like I'm paraphrasing him, but that is essentially how he sees it. And in, a, in the same way, he does relate to uh, David Lynch in that, you know, you ask David Lynch to like pin him down sometimes. Yeah. Like, what mm -hmm. does that mean? And he's just like, I don't know. It just kind of floated into my head and out of my head. And here we go. Right. Yeah. And like Ardorowski in his own way is like that. Um, where he's I, just like, I'm not sure. Like, what does it mean to you? Yeah. yeah. But, you know, and, 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 and that's what's like separates, I think, directors of this era, uh, you know, with more modern contemporary film, filmmakers who just love talking about their work <laughs> and what everything means. And oh, yeah. they dry, yeah, they just, yeah. they dig it into the ground oh. where it's like, you know, people like Lynch and, you know, Jodorowsky, they, I, I think they really understood the, the, the concept of protecting that or as kayfabe, as we say mm -hmm. in wrestling, you know, like really protecting mm -hmm. everything right. behind it. Yeah. So, so it allows people to read into it and appreciate it more instead of just like, oh my God, this fucking guy and him going on and on about his own shit. Um, All right. But let's uh, segue into the movie itself. Obviously, there's so much to talk about in terms of the different set pieces, how it unfolds and everything, and we should get into that. Um, but Marcus, maybe you want to take it here because I know the opening of the film, I mean, it, it, it opens like it right from right minute one, it captures you with some pretty amazing imagery. So um, take us into yeah. El Topo. It starts with some really yeah, vivid imagery. And I, I, as a parent, I like really connected with the scenes with his son a lot. Yeah. And I saw them now that I am a parent, I see it from a different way, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so that there's, you know, so it starts with him riding on horseback with his nude son behind him. Right. But they, they come to this pole in the desert. Right. And it's like, um, uh, you know, Joe Dorowski has said that he thought he wanted that to be a sun to me references. A, it's a sundial. Like the pole is actually a sundial. Mm -hmm. And he had this great like um, reference to like a Taoist or Taoist like poem that was, or a story that was talking about um, how a wise man told a guy to go to, to a sundial and follow it to like a secret buried treasure. So the guy went to a sundial and, saw, and followed it all around, digging everywhere that the sundial was pointed until it was the middle of the day. And the the sun's directly overhead, and the sundial doesn't show any shadow at all. And that's mm. when the person understood that the per, that the the buried treasure was like you know inside him, inside himself, right? Uh, so I go. thought you know it's a, it's a brilliant like little symbol there that he gave away, you know, in the story. But I really right. felt it was uh, you could see the depth going on, and like just the the historical depth, like where this movie fits in the 
the continuum of a uh, folktale through time, you know, but, yeah. um, with the, uh, the ki- with his son, you know, he, he turns to his son, he, he puts him down off the horse and he says, he hands him a teddy bear and he hands him a picture of his mom. And he says, today's your seventh birthday. You're t- today. You're a man, <laughs> bury your, bury your, uh, first toy and bury the picture of your mother. And that really is the first toy that he ever gave his son is that teddy bear. Oh, and, wow. and, oh, it, wow. and it really is a picture of his mother, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, like, uh, and I that think really had, is his son Bronte. And that really is his son. Yeah. Well, and I, his yeah, son had yeah. just come back to live with him at that point. Like he was, the yeah. son was seven years old. Like he, he was sort of a, Joe Dorowski was sort of a, um, like he, he lived apart from his, his wives, you know? And mm-hmm. so he, he had his son come live with him to make that movie. Which is really uh, interesting, and then the last like little detail that I found fascinating was, um, you know, he carries his son on his back, right? And there was this uh, story that really moved me. Jodorowsky talking about his relationship with his own father, saying that his his own dad uh, never touched him, never caressed him, never because his his dad was like had a brother that was gay and the, and the dad was so afraid mm. that like the two men touching would be gay. Wow. So he never hugged his son. Wow. And so, um, Jodorowsky said he never felt this touch until one night, one time a car broke down and they had to walk four miles and his dad carried him on his back. And oh, he said wow. that was the only time that he ever felt his dad's, oh, you know, <laughs> felt a connection right. to his dad. Right. And wow. so he said that, you know, to carry someone on your back is like a really sacred thing for me, huh. you know? And That's so heavy. it was just like, you know, in that first little three minutes, he's packed so much of, of, yeah. of the history of folk tales and personal experiences. And like that whole, the whole movie is like that, where it's just like, he, he yeah. gives you way more per scene than anybody can well, deliver in, you know, within an hour of film. It's, it's, it's a lot of things he's collected, you know, uh, through his life. You know, I mean, he's probably only in his 30s, I would imagine, during this. And he's... He just turned 40 <laughs> right then. Or 40. Okay. So he'd collected a lot of stuff and um, done that. W- one other thing about that scene, uh, we, we'll, we'll, of course, move on. But uh, on the flip side of that, uh, I think Brontus has said that that was a pretty traumatic experience for him as a kid because he couldn't <laughs> tell the difference. He couldn't tell the difference between the movie and not and you know burying his wow. toy and i actually think that after the take was over uh jodorowsky said okay no you, you can now you know take your toy out and take out the picture you know or whatever <laughs> okay but he said right. it was okay. he said it was um he said it was he, he said it was traumatic for him that that whole experience and, and jodorowsky's talked a lot about at this point in his life when he was making this movie you know he's lived so many different lives um, from each movie, from each project, is like a, he's a different person almost making those different projects. And at this point in time in his life, when he was forty years old making this, art was everything. Like making this movie was everything. So so much of it is going into it at any expense, any cost. You know, and I think he looks back at that with what he did with his son, probably messing with his head a little bit in that moment, and deeply regrets it. And you know, uh, mm. but still, you know, I mean, it's 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 a powerful scene with a lot of weight behind it. Um, and then from there we go into one of the craziest set pieces ever in film history, which is where <laughs> they ride into this talk about traumatizing. They, yeah. uh, they ride into this slaughtered village. And the first image you do yeah. see though, is this woman impaled on the stake as you're going yeah. into this. It's amazing. You're starting to hear, have you ever seen redder blood? No, in all these, <laughs> in these scenes? no, really? no. No, it's, it's, electric. Really, it's like electric red. It is. It, it really is. And um, you see like the, the woman impaled on the stake and then you start hearing the sounds of bugs. It kind of feels like 
Texas Chainsaw to me a little bit. And then you're kind of mm-hmm. wandering in the slaughtered village, blood everywhere. There's blood on the horses. There's like horses with their guts ripped out. There's bodies of water made of blood. And like then all of a sudden you're... River. Yeah. Ri- yeah. Yeah, ri- mm-hmm. yeah. Rivers of blood. And then you're walking into this uh, building and you see all the guys like, you know, there's like there's like 20 people being hung, you know, in there. And it's literally mm-hmm. just like the most extreme you know, 70s Western moment ever, you know, um, you know, v- violence on, tw- on, on 11, <laughs> you know, it's amazing. Yeah, violence on 11. I think it's still, you know, this film in general, not just that scene, but the film, it, it really is one of the big signifiers is it's violence. And maybe we can talk about that for a minute because mm-hmm. um, there's a few angles here, like Pauline Kael, for instance, with her effete you know, or her, her, her tribe, you know, was very offended by the violence that really popped badly for people over 30 back then. But yeah. young people just thought it was kind of like a freaky, yeah. like fun kind of crazy thing, because you know what, they knew they weren't watching like, you know, a, a snuff film or like war footage. It was just like, it was a crazy, and this is Hodorowsky's, you know, it's like, comic look at bookie. things. It's kind of comic right. It's like yeah. so exaggerated and unreal that it, it's like yeah. reading a zapped comic book where like everybody's head got cut off and went yeah. to Mars. And it's like <laughs> it's absurdism. And yeah. I think and almost kind of like Pink Flamingos where it's just yeah. like Gonzo, you know, the attitude of young people then. So the violence wasn't punching the way it was for older people. But also so so Horowski did like to mix like, you know, um, like funny and and horrific. And he did like the the neighborhood of having those two chafe against each other. But also just thinking of the zeitgeist at the time, I think one of the things that this film really had people responding to was this is a weird era. It's only 1970. Manson and the gang had just been arrested like like a week before or something. And they're on Life magazine. And he looks kind of like you know, Topo, like a scene from the movie, beard and everything. True. True. So violence was big, but also not just the violence of Manson, like getting into this mental consciousness of the whole country, but this is a time when the weathermen, you know, the, the, the terrorist group, okay, right, the leftist weathermen, they had a big party and they called it the year of the fork. And that was it, 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 the, the fork they're referring to is the fork that was stabbed into uh, LaBianca's, uh, one of the victim's um, stomachs at the Manson murder at the LaBianca house and they were being goofy like you're the fork and because they were like let's let's kill middle class people in their suburban homes wow. and they were half kidding and they half weren't so there's a lot of really weird violent rhetoric and violent kind of um, <laughs> mythology going on also just one last reference is you know eraser eraser easy rider is very huge then as we've talked about and it ends with a huge violent bummer yeah. So there's like, you know, they get shot by rednecks. So there's a lot of violence in the air for young people where it's like yeah. they're both paranoid of like, mm-hmm. we're going to get shot down like the end of the movie, Joe, spoiler alert. It's like, we're going to get picked off by rednecks, but also like maybe we'll pick off some rednecks. So there's a lot of overcharged weird violence, which is surprising coming from like Sergeant Pepper in the Summer of Love that yeah. is actually mm-hmm. a pretty hypercharged yeah. violent counterculture. <laughs> and this film drops right in the middle of that mm. yeah yeah and, and and i mean it does have like some of the absurdist kind of violence as well too and one of my mm. favorite moments too is uh when when uh, el topo has his stealth kill in the film where he mm. basically throws the knife up at the dude who's at the top of the tower and it slices <laughs> his neck yeah. you know and it's 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 just like like 
like the freedom to be able to make a scene like that work, you know, where you're just like, I love that. You're the guy who's just going to throw a fucking knife up 40 feet in the air and slice someone in the neck. It's such a so adolescent cool. it's a crazy fairy tale. It's like an adolescent you know? idea, you know, <laughs> but it really, it really right. works here so well. Yeah. On, on the subject of violence, I got like a, a little, a quote from the man about it. Cause someone asked him in an interview, you know, like, why is your film so violent? You know, I love he says, violence. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. oh, he says, oh, of course, he's going to say El Topo is not violent. Yeah. <laughs> it is you who so is violent. He, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, right, basically, he, he's saying it's a process. You know, you start with violence, but he f it finishes with love. But you must start with our reality. So our normal reality is war and violence and selfishness. And you go to the normal reality that you live in and you construct your soul you know, so it's not violence. It's a process. You must bring right. shit to the process to get gold. So right. that's, I guess that is, that does make sense in like the arc of the story. You know what he's saying? Absolutely. Sure. Because sure, there sure. is an arc. I mean, you mentioned earlier, there was changes that the man or was going through, but so does the, the El Topo guy. There's like a big bifurcation in the middle of the film where he tra transforms completely. You know what I mean? So that is a big part of uh, how uh, Alejandro like sees life, his life. Yeah. And, uh, and a life well lived is one that has violent transformative moments where you're going from. Yeah. And maybe, maybe change can be violent. And maybe I'll just reference quickly like a, a fave moment that, that I, uh, um, uh, the transition from part one to part two. So he kills the masters. All right. For everyone who's seen it, he kills the masters and then he immediately realizes like that meant nothing. Like that, you're, like you're not king shit on fuck mountain like who cares you killed the four masters now what so he has an immediate nervous breakdown the walls are crumbling around him he's screaming he's rubbing honey on his face he's gone his <laughs> ego death okay he goes to that bridge now side note on um the reality logistics of the film that bridge in the middle of the film when he's being shot by uh, maria i think yeah amara was yeah. very rickety it's from like an old mining you know, effort from like, you know, 50 years before. Insanely dangerous. It's so dangerous. And like, he knew it. And he's like, at any moment, me and the cameraman could just go, bye. And he was like, fuck it. And he was saying, look, we were in a trance. Let's shoot this. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And you can see in me, like, I'm gone. I'm like, and like you said earlier, it was all about making art. And it's like, I might die right today, right now, unfinished with El Topo yeah. falling down. So, but anyway, so that bridge always gets me. And I always, in a way, when I think of like ego death and like midlife crisis, actually, because that's what he's expressing. He's 40 there. He's, I see him at the bridge being shot and going like, ah, on this, and this actor on this really precarious bridge. So anyway, favorite scene cut to the cave which is sort of an underrepresented yes. uh, part of the film that isn't discussed that much it's still yeah. brief it's sort of the the, the focal um not focal but a pivot point in the film dark cave he's maybe been there for 20 years maybe 100 years who knows he does have the golden crazy hair <laughs> and yeah. um he's helped by this uh, wonderful little person uh, woman this great actress who he really yeah. jibed with uh, jacqueline yeah. And um, she helps him. He meets with a mystic woman, and she was a real shaman who made him really drink like the bug juice. He oh. said it was disgusting, and he really did kind of hallucinate. And you see him reborn. You're seeing El Topo being reborn, almost naked, coming from under her dress and crying like a baby. And yeah. that, and, oh, and then it's all accompanied by the sound. Yeah, I was of about to say, truly wretched people. Hold that on. They found in the beggars. In, I'm done. Beggars in the streets and their wretched cries echoing in this cave. Unbelievable filmmaking. 
Well, it, it really is. I mean, it's like also it's like a it's like a production design set piece too because like you see these, you know, malformed, you know, people from the lower rungs of society there that are stuffed into barrels and stacked in the background and they're like in freaking darkness. out and moaning and crying in darkness. Holy it's really one of the most shit. fucked up you know, crazy yeah. visuals in a movie ever, but you know, just re- man, real quick, because I mean, we're I know we're jumping around, but like okay. one thing I wanted to say just quickly before we get to the second half of the film too, it's like it, it um I do like something I like about Jodorowsky as a storyteller with his movies. I guess the way he structures his films is um, even with Holy Mountain, like you know, Holy Mountain is sort of you know, structured around the backstories of each person who's about to take this journey to the top of this mountain. That's a very fun, like, cool structure to, like, watch, you know, um, where a lot of these, like, art films, like an Arabelle film, might not be as, like, easy to watch, you know? And I yeah, think I El Topo's fun, too, because it's, like, it's it, it's structured around the gun masters. It's like a video game bosses that's basically structured, <laughs> you know, like in this levels. movie. It's levels or it's like a, you know, 36 chambers of Shaolin or something like it. Mm -hmm, It has mm -hmm. that kind of cool. He had a martial arts movie influence. So there you go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that really helps like propel the narrative of the film forward. I know what you mean. You know, through all this stuff, you know, and it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I heard him say once that he, he came to that form because he was like the, the, the unions in Mexico, the feature unions wouldn't let him direct a feature-length film because they're a very closed system. So oh. I think he, he, he cut it up that way thinking he was making shorts, you know, like that he could get away with saying he was making shorts by having all these right. chapters for it, you know, uh, right. and that the shorts union would let him do that. I think that's what he, right. I think that's just what he said. Interesting. I Interesting. love all the, the uh, yeah, anyway. Um, well, I was just going to say like, yeah, the, you know, the, the, the one thing I wanted to say is like him basically, you know, uh, dueling all these gunslingers, the various gurus. Uh, that first one is a really interesting set piece where um, so good. he he basically, you know, uh, Mara is telling him you can outsmart him, you can cheat him, you can find another way to beat him. And of course, I guess somehow they've <laughs> developed some trap door that he falls through and that's how they're able to shoot him. That's right. But there's an yeah. amazing... He cheats through all four of them or he all does. three of them. You know, He does. Yeah, he yeah. does. He does. First three. It's right. But there's that amazing little like one fucking hour moment in there where right after he shoots the guy, there's, you know, of course, the the guy with no arms that has the guy with no legs on his shoulder, which is an incredible the divided self like, yeah, the in the flesh. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, Right. That that really that's like the ultimate Odorowski image in my mind. It is. Is that, you know, because it's very it's very corporal. Corporal, yeah. corporal, you know what I mean? Yeah, but also corporal. fantastical and like uh, and fairy tale like. But it's truly a it legit, is. real thing, and you're seeing, you're witnessing it. But Ray apparently, when he shoots- those, two, those two actors hated each other too. <laughs> <laughs> Fun movie fact. Um, no, but it's it's like right right when he shoots that guy, there's that amazing moment where it's like, uh, 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 dude. Totally. You know what I'm talking about? No, of and course. Just like, and then oh. no, and then the slow motion, uh, the master is slow motion riding the horse yeah. to signify like his spirit is leaving. Yeah, amazing, incredible. 
Amazing, yeah. amazing. So, just wanted to touch on that. Um, and then, obviously, yeah, you, you you touched on the cave scenes. I mean, the the just the visual of that, the stalagmites, the people stuffed in barrels. It's absolutely insane. And then, I guess from there, El Topo's reborn, and now he is a street performer beggar. You know, and the movie kind of takes I, on. I, a, I would put it this way. I mean, okay. he becomes so far from the badass. You know, like almost like black exploitation movie lead character El Topo, and he becomes a, a, a weird little silly fool and a clown, clown, which is very mind blowing when you think about it. Because yeah, it's like, it like, like, like male archetypal things. You know, like the like uh, it didn't work for him to try to be the macho king shit guy, and he knew that he was fake because he was cheating. You know, and his ego was getting the best right. of him. And he wa- and the thing is, he wanted things. He was possession oriented and achievement oriented. Classic archetypal male, you know, like uh, um, uh, ambitions. But then, what's the opposite? What's the what am I trying to say? What's the thing that scares many male egos? Which is like, I'm going to look like a silly little clown, you know? <laughs> yeah. And like everyone just kind of looks at me, and I'm kind of silly, and it's like, what me? And like, you know, kind of cucked and like. By everybody, you know, and so uh, I thought that was really interesting. I was rewatching it. And it's like, like, and it's the same actor playing it, and he's kind of brilliant, and he's utilizing his he pantomime is, skills. He yes, is. I know. Yeah, you see yeah. all the mime stuff. Like exactly. that second see, half. Mm-hmm. That 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 second half, he really kind of it, like it starts to feel like melancholy acid chaplain, you know, or something. Absolutely. You know, Western. It's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a very it's, weird That's vibe. him in a nutshell, man. He makes acid chaplain Westerns. <laughs> yeah. You know, like nobody's, nobody did it then or now, you know. Wearing his and ass I, chaplains. Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I saw, I saw the, the two splitted movie, the two different sides of El Topo, you know, represented the early gunslinger and then the sort of like holy man clown uh, being sort of like it's sort of Buddhist, you know. It, nothing, nothing is a direct like allegory in this, I don't think. Or, but you know, it's all kind of mixed up together. Well, like we were saying, me yeah. a little bit of like um, Siddhartha, you know, like where he in the beginning he's like a degenerate gambler who lives, who runs with the bad crowd, and then he goes and lives with the holy people, and it's like sure. he does, you know, he, he has a completely different life over there, and then he goes and basically just lives in the middle like on the river, you know, so he's sort of like, he right. seeks enlightenment between those two extremes, you know. Malcolm guess, X's like, life is like that, you know, as a real right. example. Malcolm X was a, people, I don't even know if people really understand this. Like he wasn't always a righteous preacher man, you know, of the nation of Islam. He was a gangster and a pimp and mm-hmm. he had an epiphany yeah. and he turned it upside down. So there are real examples mm-hmm. and in fairy tales and, and mythology examples of um, this kind of transformation Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and there's, and Marcus, you're so right. There's a lot to, like we were saying, there's all these layers and threads where there's not just one representation of transformation happening, but multiple ones. And you know, mm-hmm. it's all handled visually, really. Right. And he talks a little bit about in the interviews and stuff about his, how the conscious mind and the unconscious mind need to come together, you know? And I think that's like part of it too, you know, just like, right. it's, it's a big mix up, but yeah. Yeah. If I can, there's just one specific scene as mm-hmm. we're just kind of going piecemeal through this. Just, yep. I do want to give a shout out. I, I believe her name is Jacqueline mm-hmm. and she is the, uh, the little person, um, a partner to the yep. clown, uh, mm-hmm. El Topo clown. And uh, she's really great. And the scene that always caught me off guard, because I think that generally the second half of the film is less discussed 
it's not on the posters and whatnot. But it's, oh, but yeah, it's pretty, yeah. Be, yeah, right. But it can be pretty rewarding. So I'm specifically saying there's a scene when they're in the, the bordello, they're entertaining at the bordello as the silly clown couple and uh, the drunk asshole, horrible, you know, um, uh, uh, base people, yeah. townspeople are like, why don't you guys start fucking? How about the clown fucks the little girl? And it's like, um, it's really gross. Yeah. But she does this great thing, and there's so much sensitivity. And this is one yeah. thing I really love about Odorowski, because this is in him, where she says to Odorowski in his ear as they're forced to fuck publicly, okay? She just says, it's just you and me. None of these people are here. We are alone. We love each other. And they, they make love. In the middle of all these grotesque assholes, we're like, look at that. It's fucked up. And it was challenging for this woman, who I'm really starting to love, this actress, she uh, Odorowski said she had a lot of t trouble because she had to like reveal her naked body which is not a normal sized body you know right and that was challenging for her and she went through a lot and it was emotionally kind of traumatic but she knew that it was rewarding and he says that she's a great woman she's actually now like a Zen Buddhist wow. uh, you know and uh, in her life and she's I think the film really transformed her life and, wow, um, wow, and wow. that's the kind of small things that I really like that Odorowski does have that kind of touch that you know mm -hmm. is underappreciated that's maybe all i'm saying mm -hmm. yeah and um you know uh i i guess what they're trying to do like they're they're raising money they're they're basically trying to get all the other deformed people who are buried in the that cave they're trying to raise money and efforts to get them out of there to break them free buried in the and, subconscious right <laughs> yeah and buried is, in the underground yeah right Right. Yeah, very, very metaphorical, very crazy. And then um, they finally are able to break through, um, of course, with the help of, I'm sure we'll get to El Topo 2, you know, mm -hmm. in this. But That's basically, right. they, they, they free um, all the deformed people from the cave. And it's that. That's one of the craziest moments. And too. the townspeople run and hug them. And greet them with warmth. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> no, you know what happened? They oh, fucking no. shoot every single one of them in broad oh, daylight. Right. Yeah, right. right. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's absolutely insane and heartbreaking. And then of course, um, it's a nightmare. but you do it, it is a nightmare. But you do get this one little moment of levity, uh, levity, not levity, of of revenge, where basically, <laughs> you know, um, um, El Topo. Uh, takes a gun and starts just mowing people down and killing Dude, people. I love that. It's like it's you know what you know what you know what this clown's got going right now. I'm gonna yeah, grab yeah, your fucking gun yeah. and shoot him. Like I yeah. love that because I was just saying he's like this yeah. like kind of small clown man who just yeah. suddenly goes fuck that shit and he just grabs a gun and yeah. like whoa whoa, yeah. whoa 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 the clown's going crazy and he's got a gun and he and, just fucking lays them. And he's down. almost like the he's almost like the Terminator too because they're they're peppering him with bullets but he's just yes. you know uh, absorbing them all forward. and walking. Yeah, he's amazing. empowered by spiritual righteousness it's and the soul of all those murdered and right there in front of him holy shit. holy shit yeah he's the avenging yeah, so angel he is mm -hmm. and then but it's it's also amazing too like that set piece like i've heard the budget of the movie was like two hundred thousand dollars or some some yeah. crazy low figure but that set piece yes. right there like that and you know we and, and, and we talk about you know jodorowsky being an artist not as much as a filmmaker that's an incredibly well-directed scene you know yeah. in terms of like how epic how epic that but that scene looks like money and it looks incredible it's dynamic it's well yeah. edited it's well shot yes. it's it's like uh, yeah epic i see the same thing when there's all the horses running around you know the horses, like, this, is, yeah. this is masterful all the horses running in a circle i'm like 
that is a really hard shot to get, you know, John and, get, Ford. and not like kill people. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. And he, and he, and he did it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so yeah, incredible. he is a good filmmaker too. You know, th- there are like just weird things that have with like editing. The editing is so weird in this at times, you know, but oh. it totally works, but it's just, you know, like sure. uh, cutting on a bullet, cutting to the aftermath of a bullet blasting through somebody or like, Oh, that a kind knife, of stuff. Yeah. The knife thing is the, the edit is weird. in that knife thing you were talking about earlier, when he throws up and kills a knife and, it's yeah. like kind of hiding the special effects in a way, but it's also effective. It and works. It gives a very unique tone to the film too. You yeah, know? it so adds to the whole kind of like uh, yeah. you know the the dizziness of of it all. If sure, we're talking about tech, out. just if we spend like a minute on tech for a second, because there's a I lot of masterful edited. stuff going on. Just Thank a really you. quick thing though. No, but sound design. Yeah. is often not discussed and he mm-hmm. I was listening to a commentary of his and he was he was very much valuing sound design yeah. kind of like the way David Lynch would because sound sure. is one of those things that I think really had its day beginning in the 70s it wasn't the only time but I'm just saying like like these a lot of these creative filmmakers uh, in these cult movies were like half of a movie is sound so he was talking about like you know what I did all those bleeding sheep in the beginning of the movie with the thieves I turned it all the way up <laughs> it does not it wasn't that loud that you know, part is or, like, or at the end with <laughs> yeah. the massacre it's like there's like that really hardcore like a uh, Buddhist temple yeah. chimes and it's like really mm-hmm. loud in the mix and pounding and like uh, mm. and the screams and he's really he's he he out always, voices for people you know people like yes. women have men's voices or children no one or like had their own voice. have children's voices or oh. exactly so I really appreciate that he's thinking of that other uh, part of film and not just the visual and uh, and it's a really yeah. wild ride too. the, the sonic yeah yeah, uh, well, just one other cut, the one other edit thing too. That's that's mm. really good for me in this moment. Is uh, in the second half when you know we're in kind of the cult also, like this town is sort of run by this you know religious cult, and uh, which is also cool. That's another you know facet yes. of this movie. It has that. It has right. that mm. set piece as yes. well too. <laughs> and uh, one of my favorite scenes in the, in that whole second half is the scene where the religious leader, cult leader guy has the gun and he's taking it around to everybody in the church or in the whatever and uh, they're all doing this Russian roulette thing that they're going to be safe from you know the bullet and of course everyone takes a turn and they're like uh huh uh huh click you know? yeah. and then click you know next person click next person click and then oh an 8 year old boy is like let me try Bam and, hey. and <laughs> then, you know, title card. Yeah, it's it's Bam title card. Like the best. Uh, it's an sick. amazing, great punk rock so edit. Sick. Yeah, yeah it's it really very is. very punk edit. I love that. Mm-hmm. And actually, yeah. just to like wig out for a second, like like again, we should probably do a full commentary someday in this film. But just like I'm realizing we it will. now, so we will. We whatever will. on this, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> this is hour here. But what I'm saying is like, um, <laughs> little side note was that Western town is modern Western 20th and 21st civilization, uh, century civilization. Like all the maladies, the vanity, the gluttony, all the, all yeah. the deadly sins, uh, the racism, you know, it's really yeah. nauseating. The social hierarchies and just yeah. the brute selfishness. And, uh, and, and, and these people are so lost and have absolutely no sort of uh, spiritual grace. And one of the things they wind up doing is having a blind, obedient, stupid cult of, of by the way, what is it? What's the symbol, guys? Yep. It is the pyramid <laughs> with the eye, which is kind of mm-hmm. like a, the dollar, which is yep. not unintentional on his part you know so yep. anyway Illuminati. just i think he did a really nice uh, thing there we're having the sort of blazing saddles version of like 
yes. the maladies of the second half of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's a, it's a yes. really grotesque part of the film, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those old totally. prost- fat prostitutes. Every, and they yeah. use pig noises when they're like <laughs> trying to like hump the black stud. It's really gnarly, right? It mm-hmm. is. Yeah, totally. Should we talk about uh, oh, one other set piece in the first half of the film that comes to mind uh-huh. is the the uh, I think he's one of the I think he's the second boss the uh, crazy set piece with all the rabbits and the that's the, the third guy yeah it's a third guy yeah. okay let's learn to yeah. know each other and play music together yeah yeah I love that yeah that does work. Best. Yeah, that. obviously, beautiful, beautiful. crazy set piece, you know, with all the dead rabbits and the, um, the 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 moment when he's shot too into that like red when he when he falls into that body of water and all the red. It's beautiful and how it's shot. I mean, it's completely grotesque and fucked Brilliant up filmmaking. But the way that all of that is framed and executed is absolutely Agreed. amazing. I also think one of the pinnacle Jodorowsky moments in this, like the most Holy Mountain feeling cut to me, also another one, is uh, when the colonel gets castrated. I, I that to me yeah, is crazy. Just the, That's very just, holy mountain. Just the timing of it, like like the timing mm-hmm. of when he's like, okay, then we're gonna cut his dick off, and you see it fly in the air, and then it cuts to sad music of him holding his privates and, and his slow staggered. walk, slow, <laughs> yeah, like the the walk of shame. <laughs> yeah. Of castrated. Yeah, yeah, I know. Sad music. It's harrowing. Well, if we're, like, let's just grab bag maybe, but like um, the sure. fourth master is pretty dope. Uh, the fourth master is the guy who really. The old knows, guy or, net. Sorry, he really knows El Topo's number because El Topo's been cheating the other th- three masters, right? And he comes to the fourth guy, and the guy's like, so on another level, and he's Zen Buddhism because the others were like, sort of like uh, European um, gypsy or yeah. like uh, Central American, you know, um, uh, Incan. And this guy's just pure Zen Buddhism, the fourth master, the, the highest level up, you know, in the video game here he's playing. And, that, and he approaches that guy, and he's like, how am I going to cheat? the fourth master. What am I going to get from the fourth master? And the fourth master is like, he's naked basically. And he's like, I don't have anything. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, I got one thing. You, maybe you'll care about this. I've got this gun that doesn't work. And he goes, Hey, yeah, I got this gun that doesn't work. It'll topo. Hey, guess what? Yeah. And, he's, and he just said the last words, the fourth Zen master is like, means nothing. And he's saying his life means nothing. And that triggers, like we said earlier, yeah. El Topo to have a nervous breakdown, but um, yeah, that that it's very brief. It's a very brief uh, and and very Spartan thing, but uh, that to me is El Topo in a way as a film. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and he's I think he's playing tennis with like a like a a net, and there's nothing there. Net. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's very right, weird. right. right. Racket. So um, that's just a shout out to that fourth master stuff. You know, mm-hmm. Marcus. One any of the other great, shots for one you? Of the, okay. Sorry. One of the great narrative things is just that is that you know I was so hurt when he ditched his son for the yeah. for the woman. You know, like I, that really bothered me, and uh, the fact that it you know that I guess it, it's, there's some real life stories in there too. But um, yeah, you know the fact that the son comes back is such a great narrative mm-hmm. film that is a good filmmaking thing you know that you leave you don't leave this loose end and it comes back and and the son's got this appropriate like you know uh emotional reaction to his dad like he hates him and becomes to terms with it and i thought i just loved how that was that story mixed into these all these You're right. symbols and little moments totally. there's also this like story that that makes a lot of sense and rings very true in it and then the yeah. little his little girl little person partner winds up going off with uh 
son of El Topo at the end. And, that, and that's kind of yeah. heartwarming. It's like because he'll El Topo will live on, you know, as they leave his honey encombed mm-hmm. grave, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, oh, there's a great know. quote about the honey, you know, like, uh, from Jodorowsky saying, you know, what do what do all the bees bees make honey? Bees work really hard, and humans should work hard to make honey. That means you're human. If you don't, uh, if you don't make honey, you're a fly. Flies work hard, but they don't make any honey. So you want to be like the bee, you know. And I just I love that. Like Jodorowsky Ooh, was. I mean, that's very him. Oh, yeah. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, if we're grab bagging at the end here, man. Um, oh man, there's so many little shots that are great. I I love the shot of the P. It just sticks in my mind. It's like when he's talking about images that don't leave your mind. The one of like the firing squad of the people who are in the white bags. Yeah, and yeah. being shot mm. and like it's. I mean, super violent and like holy shit. But it's also kind of acid. I'm avant-garde theater. Like the bodies in bags, you know, it's sure. like an abstraction, mm-hmm. like a weird costuming, and they make weird physical gestures, you know? Yeah. Absolutely amazing stuff. Oh, we're running out of time. There's so much more to talk about. <laughs> uh, wow. That went quick. Uh, it did. It went it did. really fast. God it went really damn it. Fast. It's yeah. so rich. I don't know it if we is. should do Holy Mountain. Uh, and I'm uh, actually not kidding. Like, because an hour's that's just kind of goofy for a little four and a half. What do you guys it think? Is. I mean, just trouble with El Topo, you know? Right. Yeah. It's like four El Topos meshed into yeah. one of those. <laughs> it, you is. Know? it is. Well, maybe <laughs> we'll do a commentary for Holy Mountain and El Topo at that some point. That might be best, yeah. The only yeah, way to get that, of course, rich. is the Patreon, patreon.com slash one fucking hour. But anyway, that was uh, one fucking hour on El Topo. Hope you liked it. Um, I know, hopefully, I know Tom liked it. Look at that right it's there. <laughs> what it is maya okay <laughs> um and uh i guess uh yeah that was that was great uh that was our 1970 episode 70 uh uh one fucking hour in el topo let's talk about what's coming up next guys because we're moving from 1970 into 1971 right. 1970s in the rear view mirror yeah, goodbye el topo it is. It was a lot of fun. Hope you enjoyed it. I love that movie. It was What's really great next? to revisit it. Yeah. Let's talk about the future. Okay. So this is the way we're approaching this. Um, if you've been following along with us, I mean, we've we started with 1967. Now we're up to 1970. You guys are voting on these movies on our Instagram page at one fucking hour. So if you go to the Insta- our Instagram page at one fucking hour, click on the stories. Right now is going to be a poll for 1971. You have 24 hours from the airing of this episode uh, to vote on which movie we will uh, cover next from 1971. So the poll yeah. is live now, and um, we're going to go through the four. It's been tough. Uh, it has been tough. You know? It's been very tough. Because like, been- whittling down to four. You know, uh, there's a lot, um, you know, there were things after we made the decisions, I was like, oh my God, this, 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 and this, you know, I mean, it's tough, you know, all the, a is. lot of these years coming up, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough, are. but I think the way that we approach 1971 for next week was there's a lot of monster films and we're, and, and I, I, I've been noticing on the polls that a lot of the bigger name films aren't getting as much love on the voting and I think people want to see us cover more of the gems of these particular years, sort of mm-hmm. the, you know, not as obvious, um, you know, yeah, you know, sort of yeah, buried gems of, of, of these. So I think we kind of approached curating 
the four films for 1971 more with that in mind. So, okay, here are the four films that you can vote for for next week's episode. We'll go through them real quick here. Uh, and we'll talk about what it might look like. So uh, the first option is, um, okay, this will be interesting. One fucking hour on two-lane blacktop. Oh, Monty Christ. Hellman's film. Tom, what what might that look like? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's um, we're in post-Easy Rider times now. And uh, the major studios are like, uh, I want I want an Easy Rider. You know, I want, what's the next Easy Rider? So this script came through. Uh, for Tulane Blacktop. Monty Hellman was kind of untested, but he had worked with, you know, on, on Westerns, by the way, weird Westerns in the 60s with like Nicholson. And so uh, they, they threw him a bone and a budget. And, um, you know, there was a lot of hype. There's a famous Esquire magazine about Tulane Blacktop that like, this is the movie. This is the next one. This is going to be bigger than Easy Rider. And it was a huge flop and everyone forgot about it. <laughs> but it's one of the, I'll just put it this way, actually. It's one of these films where all the these are the names of the characters, the driver, the mechanic, the girl yeah gto driver like it's um talking about like uh mythology this is a mythic um tone to it but it's all set in a world of the uh the southwest and car culture and all the dialogue is like carburetors and like the gear shift and everything yeah. but it's uh it's poetic it's beautiful i love that film a lot yeah, of people cool. love that film it's a really and, cool film. Uh, Awesome. Yeah. it's very special and Warren Oates kind of steals the picture in a side character uh, totally you know. Absolutely. as he usually does as he usually does so okay it might be one fucking hour on two lane blacktop the second choice okay this is one that's very personal to me for many reasons and I've been waiting for us to potentially do this I'm not trying to put my thumb on the scale but uh, <laughs> one fucking hour on wake in fright Okay, now this is uh, directed by Ted Kotcheff. It's uh, he's a Canadian, but he made this movie in Australia. It's a uh, absolutely uh, it, it is a horror film, but it's not actually a horror film um, right, right. about a school teacher who gets trapped on a crazy lost weekend, drunken lost weekend in this small Australian town, and he basically. Um, yeah, he gets he he be, he becomes this drunken degenerate <laughs> that they kind of turn. It's basically turning somebody from the middle class, upper middle class, into a animal uh, in the course of forty eight hours. Yeah, um, and it's an incredible movie. It's um, of course looking at Australian culture through a weird Canadian lens, um, and it's just a. It's really one of the most. Um, it's such an incredible gem, and it was so it was impossible to see for many 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 years. And I was a big part of its re release. Um, in oh, the sick. States. So I have a huge personal connection to it, personal connection to Ted Kotcheff. I love all of his movies. Um, so I have a lot I have a lot on, on, on Wake and Fright. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite films of all time. I mean, it really is. I, I love yeah, it. It's so. really cool. Yeah. So that might be one of the options. Um, option number three, this is a big Tom. Uh, uh, option number three will Me? be <laughs> one fucking hour on Sweet Sweetback's uh, Badass Song. It. You know what? <laughs> Fuck Putney Swope. <laughs> Fuck El Topo. This is my jam. This is the shit. Wheatback is everything and then some for me. It's beyond black exploitation. I think it's kind of, yeah. it's like almost insulting to just kind of qualify it. Like it's an oh, insane, yeah. explosive, charged uh, art piece underground it's super underground uh you know and um it's uh, uh, you know melvin van peebles 
Uh, he made it under duress. It's got every wild, crazy experimental trick in the book. It's yep. it's mythic. It's there's a lot of things we're talking about tonight, which I think are analogous to Sweetback in the sense of El Topo, that it's mythology. It's not like grounded in any kind of reality, but there's truths, but there's abstraction, and uh, and it was an explosive hit. It was beyond everyone's understanding. Uh, you know, like that, it, it became a huge phenomenon, and it, cre it created the black exploitation genre single-handedly. I would say. And just the last little thing is, um, it was it was the labeling was rated X by an all-white jury. Yeah, that was amazing. that's in the ad. That's in the ads when you look it's, it up in the papers. So it's it's just incredible. cool. It's the soundtrack. It's just so fucking dope. It's amazing. It is. You it guys is. like it, right, Sweetback? Yeah, I love yeah, it. I love it. Yeah. I love all these movies on this list. And rounding right it out. Um, option number four, I know, is one that Marcus is. Uh, uh, I mean, we all love this movie, but I, I know Marcus, you were yes. a big cam campaigner for this one, and I love it too. Would love to see, love to do an hour on this it's movie. It's great. It's great. Uh, one fucking hour on Milos Forman's first American film, Taking Off. So yeah, so Marcus, the, this is the one that I'm totally not. This is the one I'm totally not putting my thumb on the scale for, <laughs> and like. Okay, I'm really okay. hoping my posse doesn't like you know put it over the edge you know so that it wins we have to talk about it uh -oh. but uh, oh. so this will be the return of uh, of Milos Forman you know to the pot to the podcast mm -hmm, he's right. been uh, after he's Cuckoo's Nest yeah after Cuckoo's Nest but also don't forget that we moon. also covered him for her Man in the Moon movies we so know he's got like a little bit of right now it's a love <laughs> a little fest, bit of love okay. a little hate. But. <laughs> Okay. Uh, so it's, it's, it's got though. a Vince Vincent Chavelli that I pronounce his name right yep and Chavelli yep. It's basically a teenage daughter kind of runs away and her suburban, you know, her suburban parents have to are trying to find her. Buck and Henry. Buck Henry. Buck Henry. Yes, Buck Henry. He's brilliant in this is the father. Uh, it's got one of the all-time greatest movie intros in time. You know, the beginning of the film is just completely brilliant. It's got an amazing backstory. You know, Kathy the Bates. real life auditions. So cool. Yeah, teenage Kathy Bates yeah. uh, playing guitar right. and singing, and well, um, the auditions are peppered <laughs> through the film, and they're like they're right, cut really right. like. There's a lot of wit in how they're cut, and it's it's becomes a it becomes part of the film is just a documentary of like teenage singer girl auditions in it's 1970. A great mix of, of narrative and doc, and it's together. funny. Yeah, and it's, it's, and it's very funny. It's, what's really great is it's America, but it's got that dry Czech black humor sensibility mm -hmm. applied yeah. to an American landscape. It is weird that like a comedy from 1971 can still make you laugh. You know what I mean? Oh, it, like, it does. Because a lot of the it times does. they're I just know, like totally. duds. <laughs> yeah. and, totally. and it isn't just like cheerleading for the counterculture. It's kind of looking at every part of the dynamics yeah. of 1971 America. And it's kind of like, there's some satire of kind of everybody, you know, uh, equally, you mm -hmm. know, it's just kind of an, a, a, like a cold observant eye by a, by a foreign director. I love when foreign directors look at America. It's the know? best. Yeah. yeah. So that's a, that's such a gem. I love taking yeah. off. So there's your four options. Uh, one fucking hour on two lane blacktop, wake and fright, sweet, sweet backs, wow. badass song. And taken what off. What are you guys going to pick? I know. I have no idea. I have no idea what's going to win this. <laughs> very looking, very much looking forward to it. So the poll is live right now. If you're watching this within 24 hours of the video hitting, so get over to uh, our uh, at one fucking hour Instagram page. Hit the uh, stories, and you'll be able to vote there. And of course, follow us there if you're not already. Subscribe to the channel if you're not already, and make Ooh. sure 
to get on that Patreon, guys, these these audio commentary tracks uh, have been have been a blast to do. Psycho 98 mm-hmm. is going to be fucking insane. I can't believe we're doing that. <laughs> oh, Jesus God. Yeah. Christ. Watch the train wreck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> From El Topo <laughs> to we're the Psycho 98. Yeah, it's going to be wild. Yeah. I'm, I'm very excited from, the, from yeah. the sublime to the ridiculous, indeed. <laughs> yes. indeed. But we do it. Look, sometimes we go dark. Sometimes we go, uh, yeah. uh, we call it uh, the Duncan booth. You know, yeah. the one fucking dunking booth where we just yeah. go off on a movie. Yeah. Because... Uh, you well, know, it's all out no of love. Way. It's it's all out of the love of cinema, anyway, right? Yeah, you know, dunk, even dunking on the uh, reboots. It's all about how much right. we 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 love you, and we and we expected more. You know, totally. So. So, sure. all right, guys. Yeah. Well, that's going to wrap it up uh, for this week. I uh, hope you enjoyed One Fucking Hour in El Topo. We'll see you next week for um, your 1971 pick. And uh, that's about it. But of course, we can't leave you uh, without your moment of zen <laughs> all right everybody have a great rest of your week and we will catch you next time uh take care everybody all right so long goodbye oh. el topo began as a midnight screening at new york city's elgin theater and it played every midnight for seven months and the word spread everywhere and the film had to be released and everyone had something to say about it the consensus of opinion seemed to run along the lines that you didn't always understand what you were feeling during this film but that it definitely made you feel. You know, it's an allegorical Western made in Mexico by a Chilean-Russian stage director named Alexandro Jodorowsky. (laughs) The film defies any simple explanation, and critics were confounded by it. But audiences loved it, Frank. In addition to writing, directing, and co-producing, Jodorowsky also stars in the title role. He plays this mythic gunman, kind of like Clint Eastwood in Man With No Name. He goes through a series of trials in his search for knowledge, physical perfection, and spiritual salvation. And like I said before, Brynja, it it defies simple explanation. It's visually stunning, and you'll either love it or hate it, but you certainly won't forget it. So brace yourself for a shocker as Movies at the Mansion presents... Topo. We love those four names, don't we? I love them. (laughs) Watch it. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. That was wicked, man.